As we finally wrap up this four-part series on studying theology, let's finish strong by talking about studying theology. Hey everyone, Ray Burns here, and as always, I want to thank my uh, monthly supporters over on Patreon who help uh, cover some of the various expenses involved in keeping this ministry going. If you'd like to join them, you can check the links down in the show notes or visit patreon.com slash onward in the faith. So as just a very quick recap to kind of help us remember how we've arrived at this particular video. We've talked about the various reasons that a lot of Christians are hesitant about theology or maybe even don't understand the value of theology. From there, we kind of defined theology not as just this kind of heady, brainy thing that we do, but instead we uh, defined it as understanding God humanity, and the world as God has revealed it so that we can grow in truth and live for Jesus. And then last episode, we kind of discussed uh, really God's call for his people to grow in truth. You know, we talked about how the, the very essence of theology is woven all throughout scripture, right? From Genesis to Revelation, we see God constantly telling his people to grow in truth so they can live in truth, right? It's not just growing in truth to be smarter. It's not just living in truth and hoping that you've got it right. You know, it's this symbiotic relationship where when we grow in truth, we're going to live in truth. And if we want to live in truth, we're going to want to grow in the truth that is only found in God's word. And so uh, we talked about how um, as as Christians, you know, as people who are maybe not professional pastors or theologians or things like that, although, as you remember, everyone is a theologian. We all do theology. We all live according to some truth we believe about God. It's just, are we going to do it well or will we do it poorly? And so we want to do it like Ezra did, which we looked at uh, last time, which in Ezra 7.10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of Yahweh and to practice it and to teach his statute and judgment in Israel. And that's kind of the model that we want to follow, right? We want to first desire God's word for ourselves. We want to study it so that we can practice it. But we don't want to just, you know, kind of sit in our ivory tower and hoard all this knowledge for ourselves and even not just necessarily better ourselves, for lack of a better word. But we want to also take what God has allowed us to learn and understand. And even as we are still growing, pour that into those who likewise need to grow closer to God, need to study and practice God's word for themselves. So in this final episode, I want us to look at not an exhaustive list, but basically the journey that God kind of set me on as I have grown in knowledge so that I can then live out that truth. Uh, so I'm just going to give um, as quick as I can, which you all know what you're in for, but as quick as I can, just go through some ways to study theology on your own so that you can live it out and even study theology in community, which I, th I think a lot of times we don't consider that theology isn't just able to be studied in community, but really it's essential to study it in community because God has not saved us to, you know, a desert island. God has saved us into a community of other believers, both worldwide, but also in a local community where, you know, we are called to serve and things like that. 
So uh, what I want to start with, though, as I said, is I want to look at some ways that you can study theology on your own. How can you grow in it? What are some some resources and things like that that I would recommend or that typically I do recommend to people that I am able to encourage to keep growing in their own walk with Jesus? So the very first thing is that you have to pray for wisdom. Now, you say, oh, you know, you're a Christian. Of course, you got to say that because it's God related. But no, very, very seriously. Prayer is very much a God facing act, right? When we pray, if we understand prayer well, or at least decently, we know that we don't just pray to kind of make ourselves feel better to, to give ourselves courage or, you know, whatever ways we might be tempted to use prayer. But ultimately prayer is going before our holy God, right? Unafraid because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made, that we can approach that throne, you know, and, and, and approach a holy God and converse with him through prayer. And so when we're studying theology, Theology, similarly, is a God-facing practice. You know, it's not this self-reflexive thing where we just study for ourselves and want to hoard knowledge and be better people or be smarter for ourselves. Ultimately, we're doing this whole thing for our relationship with God because we love God, because we want to know God better. So if we are not starting off with prayer, and I'm not necessarily saying every time you sit down to read any kind of book, you need to, you know, have a five minute prayer, but really have a prayerful heart and even intentionally pray every day. I would encourage you to ask God to help you keep growing in knowledge, to to have the right desires, to have the right kind of heart motivation as we looked at Isaiah chapter one last time, right? Have God you know, beg God, ask God, humbly go before your God and ask him to help you as you are studying, not just bland, cold, dead theology, but as you are studying the word that he has given you so that you can understand it for yourself, practice it, and then allow that to pour out of you in your interactions with both believers, but also unbelievers. So, very seriously, I mean this not as like a cute little thing that Christians are supposed to say, but step one in studying theology is pray to God, ask him for wisdom, ask him for growth, ask him for patience, ask him to reveal you know things to you that you may not have understood, help him to or ask him to help you uh, you know overcome any limitations you might have. But as you're praying, I want to really encourage you, don't just treat studying theology as this isolated thing where it's just you and you just open your Bible and you pray and whatever you feel is right is right. You know, this this episode is all about various resources and opportunities that we have through other Christians in our study of theology. And so as you're praying, don't just pray for your own self, but also I would encourage you to ask God to direct you to your brothers and sisters in Christ who can help you on your journey, who can play, you know, even a small part in you understanding your God better. Now, uh, step number two or Option number two, idea number two uh, in learning on your own and how to study theology is to read your Bible regularly and in context. So what do I mean by regularly? I don't mean do a verse of the day and say, cool, I read the Bible. You read a thing in the Bible, but ultimately 
10 seconds, 30 seconds a day is not sufficient to really get to know this beautiful word that God has given us. True study is hard and there needs to be an intentionality behind it. If you are hoping to get something out of it more than just something that kind of tickles your emotions or microwaves your heart and gets you a little bit excited for God until things come in. But instead, if we want to be able to practice, to make what we learn in God's word part of our lifestyle, then God's word itself needs to be a part of our lifestyle. So when I say regularly, I would strongly encourage you to commit to starting off five minutes a day, just sitting down and reading God's word for five minutes a day. And now when I say to read it in context, there's a whole lot more that we could say about that, that I'm not going to dig into in depth in this episode. But step one, when you're reading God's word is I would encourage you to start at whatever book you're reading, chapter one, verse one. And don't stop until you get to the end of it. Because a lot of times when we read our Bibles, we are really tempted to jump around to kind of do the fall open method where we just, you know, drop our Bibles, point to a verse and say, that's what God has for me today. But that's not being a responsible reader of God's word. That's not taking the word for what it is, which is, you know, 66 books divinely inspired by God through various human authors, all of which were written to a specific audience at a specific time. The Bible is, is kind of full of these things. And if we just kind of go randomly and just do whatever, we're not respecting God's word for what it is. So when you read God's word, you know, if, if you aren't sure what to do, I would say go to a gospel or go to something written by Paul. Those are two very easy places to go. So go read something like uh, John or Mark and then or go read something like uh, you know, Ephesians or Colossians or something like that. But start at chapter one, verse one, so that you can understand whenever you get to, you know, chapter three, verse eight, you understand how we got here in the first place. And then, you know, as you're, as you're reading more, uh, you know, you can start considering more important things like, you know, what kind of writing is this? You know, because there's a huge difference between a history book like Genesis and a book of poetry like uh, Proverbs, for example. And so understanding, you know, the, the different types of writing that you're reading, that's going to be valuable to you. But then as you're reading, you know, it's just you and your Bible. What I would encourage you to do as you're starting at chapter one, verse one and reading for you know five minutes a day, you know, maybe you get through a chapter or two is as you're reading, keep asking questions. You know, if you remember back during school, when you would read, you could read a chapter of like your history book or science or something like that. And you would recognize that there were English words on the page, but nothing would stick, you know, nothing would, would sink in and be meaningful to you. Nothing would last past you, you know, a few seconds after reading the words that you read. And so the greatest help that I have found is to actually stop and say, do I know who this person is? Do I know where this place is? Do I really know what this word means? Not what I think it means, but biblically speaking, as this author is using it, do I understand what this word means? And what I found is that when I do that, it slows my Bible reading down. But instead of reading, say, you know, four chapters and remembering nothing, I can read 10 verses and understand it and have it be meaningful. And most importantly, have it actually impact my life because 
I know what's going on. I've asked the questions and then gone and, and tried to find those answers. And we'll talk about how to find those answers in a moment. But for now, read your Bible regularly, ask questions, you know, start at the beginning, ask questions, make sure you understand who's being talked about, the words that are being said, the concepts, you know, write down things you may not understand or, or understand fully what it means and things like that. But read your Bible. Now, some of you may be asking, okay, which Bible should I read? And I'm going to give you kind of two suggestions depending on what your goal is in reading. Now, obviously our goal is to study theology, but what I want you to consider is when you're reading God's word, are you looking for, say, just kind of like a broad overview of what's happening? You know, do you want to read Genesis just to know what happened in Genesis? Do you want to read, you know, the gospel of Matthew just to kind of see the life of Jesus and his ministry as it's presented in a big picture form in Matthew? If that's the case, then I would encourage you, especially if you're not as accustomed to Bible reading, to get some a translation called the New Living Translation. So this is the translation that, like, for example, I start my kids on. And the value of the New Living Translation is that it is very easy to read. They, it, It's not something I would study from, which we'll talk about in a moment, but it's very easy for those who struggle, who maybe aren't firm readers, who are just maybe just unfamiliar with Bible reading in general. This is great because you're not going to slow down and necessarily dwell on individual words, but it will give you the truth of God's word as it was recorded, but in, in more of a broad sense, you know, the things that you're going to read, the, the wording, they choose words, they choose phrases in such a way as they're translating it from the Hebrew or the Greek that is easier for us as modern audiences to understand. It makes more fluid sense for us. And so this is the, the New Living Translation I would encourage you to try. Um, beyond that. I would encourage a, a book series, or I don't know if I want to call it a series, but a book called the Immerse Bible Series. And what these are is these are the New Living Translation, but they are broken up into sections. So there's like poetry, there's the Gospels and the letters and things like that. And what's really neat about these is that it's the New Living Translation, but they remove the verse numbers from it. And so you're actually reading it kind of like the original audiences would have read it in a sense in that, you know, the, the chapter headings, the, the chapter numbers, the verse numbers, that stuff is all modern uh, conveniences that we've added to the Bible to help us navigate it better. But what I like about the Immerse series or just in general, a Bible without verse numbers is that it's a much smoother flow as you're reading. So I will have um, links to all the books that I talk about down in the show notes uh, where you can grab them on Amazon. Um, I am an Amazon affiliate. So, you know, if you uh, click my links and buy any of these books, I do get a very small commission from Amazon. I have no idea how much, but, you know, a good Bible or book for you and like 20 cents for me, that's a fair deal. <laughs> So, uh, but, but as I said, if you're a beginning reader, uh, new living translation, easy peasy, that's what I'd recommend. Now, if you want something to study on a little bit more, 
like I said, the, the New Living Translation, it's great for getting the big picture of just kind of what's being said. But if you want to kind of study and really dwell on particular words, particular phrases, a series of, of verses, you know, in like a whole paragraph or whatever, I would very strongly recommend a more literal translation. So as I said, the New Living Translation, it takes the original Greek, the original Hebrew, the original Aramaic, and it rephrases it in a way where they use words and phrases not found in the original, but it is what's called thought for thought, right? The idea is still true. Whereas with a literal translation, they go more word for word with the benefit obviously being that you get much closer to what the original authors actually said the hard part being that it's not always a smooth read and, and it forces us to kind of pause and think and consider just a little bit more. And so uh, one piece of advice I've, I've heard people say is that if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, which I don't, then a literal then you want to get much closer to a literal translation as you can so that you are getting as close to reading it in its original context as you can. So now which word-for-word -word translation would I recommend? Now, there's a lot of great ones out there. The two that I recommend, so I'm going to give you one recommendation where if you're just going to have one Bible in your house, I would recommend this. And that is the English Standard Version. Now, the English Standard Version is kind of the big version out there right now. Now, I will say it may not be as crunchy, right? There's there's some translation choices that maybe are a little uh, less accurate to the original language, but the English Standard Version is a very, very solid Bible that I would basically recommend to anyone who wants to get into more serious Bible reading. Um, and the English Standard Version is what I use when I'm studying the Old Testament in particular. Now, if you are wanting, again, this is just my personal opinion. Like I said, if you want a Bible, New Living Translation for easy reading, English Standard Version for study. But if you've been around this channel for a while, then you notice that I also use what's called the Legacy Standard Bible. And what I like about the Legacy Standard Bible is it's basically the New American Standard Bible, but it's been kind of updated um, to, to better reflect biblical scholarship and translation methods and things like that. Uh, so I like this because this is the, the new American standard is what I've regularly used to study because it is a lot more literal. Um, it's a lot, if you will, nerdier of a Bible, uh, just because it's not always smooth, but it's always very accurate, especially in the new Testament. Um, so like I said, this, the, the legacy standard Bible is what I use when I'm studying the new Testament. The English standard version is what I use when I'm studying the old Testament. If you're wondering why that's a, a topic for another time, this is fine for old Testament reading, but I prefer, uh, the sources that the English standard version uses in their translation methods. So that covers what I would recommend in terms of which Bibles specifically to use and how you can use them. And hopefully it gets you thinking about what do you want out of your Bible reading right now? Do you want bigger picture, just understanding the life of Jesus, the, the stories in you know, the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, or are you really wanting to dig in? And that will guide where you go. Now, as you're digging in, as you're starting at chapter one, verse one, as you're asking questions and saying, who is this? Where is this? What does this word mean? 
The next thing that I would encourage you to start investing in and looking at are commentaries, dictionaries, and study Bibles. And these are things that I use frequently with basically anything I do. It is rare that I have a day where I'm reading God's word without in some way consulting one of these resources in my own reading. Uh, these are the things that God really used to to take my Bible reading from just, here's how I read it responsibly in terms of who is the author, who is the audience, when did this take place, and things like that, and took it to really where a lot of you see me at right now, where I'm I'm asking hard questions, I'm able to to study things out and explain things. A lot of it is because of these resources. And so I'll go ahead and just give you a rundown. There's to be very clear, there are a lot of great things. And and the things that I'm going to recommend aren't even the only ones I use. They are far from the only things I use. But as you were sitting here saying, you know, I've got a budget of $200 maybe or $100. You know, Christmas is coming up. And you you say, you know, you want to invest in one thing or one one thing in a category that's really going to help you understand God's word well so that you can live it out. And so those are the books that I'm going to be recommending is just one or two from any given category that I would say yes. If you're going to, you know, be on a desert island and you're only going to have this commentary or this study bible, here's what I'd recommend. So uh, as far as commentaries go, uh, probably my favorite to use when I'm not doing like the really in-depth nerdy study, but the one that is probably the first commentary I always go to is the Bible knowledge commentary. There is a Old Testament one, which is about twice as heavy as the New Testament one, understandably so. Um, Now, what commentaries are, are essentially... You're reading a verse and you don't know what it means. You go to a commentary and they will explain verse by verse what is going on there. And so they will help you understand things like, uh, you know, names, words, concepts. Maybe you're reading something in the New Testament and it's referencing an Old Testament concept that maybe you didn't even catch. But in referencing the commentary, as you're trying to understand these things for yourself, the commentary helps kind of shore up maybe things you didn't understand. Maybe you're just own lack of knowledge because we all have gaps in our understanding. Commentaries are fantastic for trying to understand the deeper meanings of different words and phrases and how, you know, one verse or a series of verses fits into God's word overall. So the Bible knowledge commentary would be my number one recommendation for anyone looking to start out with a commentary. Now, another important resource I would recommend are dictionaries. And I have two that I would recommend, and I'm going to be honest, in in the last several years as I've been using these two, it's really a coin flip on which one you want. They both are equally valuable. Um, you know, one can kind of be a little more in-depth where the other one may be lacking. Now, I think the one that I tend to use the most is the uh, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Um, And Bible dictionaries are great. You know, the word dictionary is in the title. You kind of know what you're expecting. You see a word, you see a phrase, you know, what is a Roman soldier? What is a helmet? Uh, What is a sifa or a seya of flower? Um, You know, so, so these dictionaries really help bridge that gap that we have between what we understand as our modern words and what these words meant 
to the original audience when they were said. So like I said, the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, I think is the one I tend to go to if I'm just like, you know, in a rush and I want to know the name of, uh, you know, a definition of a word or phrase or anything. Uh, but the other one that I can easily, easily recommend is the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Again, dictionary, very good. Um, I like the illustrated ones because I like to to be able to picture some of the, the words or phrases or uh, structures, things like that. And so an illustrated dictionary really bridges the gap between here's some cold words on a page and for, for many words, giving us an actual illustrated understanding or even a real life picture of what different things could have looked like. Now, those the illustrated Bible dictionaries are very user friendly. You know, they're they're not, you know, getting necessarily into the kind of nitty gritty language stuff. Um, but if you want something a little crunchier, something that uh, will help you get even deeper into your study. Again, this is not where I would start necessarily, but uh, if you're already someone who is maybe a bit more academically inclined um, or who has a, a firmer grasp of language or an interest in language, um, I would recommend the Vines Complete Expository Dictionary. Uh, like I said, it's a dictionary. The the you know what you, what you see is what you get, uh, but it is just a lot more thorough in terms of helping you understand the language, um, you know, showing various uses of the word and things like that. Uh, you know, that's that would be a second Bible purchase that I would recommend. Um, and then of course you've got the classic, and I don't have it uh, with me for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, but the Strong's Concordance always a good go to. Uh, you know, it's a classic for a reason. Um, I would not always recommend going to it directly because there's a, temp a, a temptation or a tendency when it says, hey, here's this word and here's where you see it all over the place that can help us to see how other writers use this word in context. But then it can also confuse us on, OK, so which definition is right or do I just apply whatever definition I want? And the answer to that is always no, we don't apply whatever definition we want to a word. It needs to be what did the author intend this word to mean? And so Strong's can 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 be a double edged sword sometimes in terms of helping us understand what a word means while also possibly confusing us on. Is that what it means this time? So, um, you know, having a commentary alongside a dictionary can be very helpful because they can help kind of course correct us where we get off. Now, the uh, last resource that I recommend is a study Bible. And the uh, study Bible I always recommend to people is the MacArthur Study Bible. Now, you don't have to like John MacArthur. You don't have to always agree with him. But his study Bible is just very high quality. The understandings within it are um, up to date. You know, a lot of the... Uh, maybe more classic study Bibles that we have are kind of outdated. Uh, some of the things that they may claim or understand as we've gotten deeper into uh, understanding interpretation, as archaeology has advanced and, you know, just different things like that. Some study Bibles can get a little bit behind the times and have us working with outdated information or understandings. Um, MacArthur study Bible though, has always been solid. Um, the one I have is the English standard version, but, uh, as far as my assumption would be that really almost any MacArthur study Bible in your preferred version is going to be pretty solid uh, because uh, what a study Bible does is let me see if for those of you on video, if I can show this here, 
So you look at, so you, you read your, your uh, verses and stuff on top and uh, you read and you say, Hey, I wonder what that means. And so then underneath the text on basically every page is a reference to, you know, a series of verses and it, it's not as thorough as a commentary, but those references down there will give you a very quick uh, rapid fire explanation to what something in that verse is talking about. And oftentimes where I really like the study Bible is that it often answers those common questions, you know? So sometimes, you know, the more you study the Bible, the more you get kind of more unique insights and questions and you're digging deeper than most people do. But the study Bibles are great because they say, what do people normally question? What do they, what questions do people tend to have? What words tend to confuse and things like that. And so a study Bible is just a great way to say, Hey, you know, millions of other people have had this question. I bet you do too. And so you can usually find as you're reading your Bible, kind of just a quick answer down in those study notes. So, uh, those are the books that I would recommend. As I said, uh, these are going to be down in the show notes. If you would like to get your own. Now, the next thing that can really help you in uh, getting to know your Bible better and understanding uh, different concepts and things like that is to find quality books that talk about a certain topic. Now, when I say quality books, I mean good, sound, biblical books. The one thing I would never recommend you do is to say, what is the best Christian book on fill in the topic on marriage, on parenting? Because this is going to sound mean, but the reality is that usually I say, usually, usually what sells best is what appeals to the lowest common denominator. In other words, books that are easy for Christians to get excited about, um, you know, that kind of appeal to their emotions or their experiences or things like that. And there's some some good quality books that are always popular everywhere. But all I'm saying is be very careful about just finding what book everyone is reading, because a lot of times the books are easy for unbelievers to read and get excited about and apply to their lives. And that's usually why they're more popular is either you have unbelievers or very immature Christians who are just kind of gobbling this stuff up. And it's not pushing people to the Bible. It's pushing them towards basically secular philosophy or secular psychology with a Christian rapper on it. But uh, as far as like, how do you find quality books? There's no good answer. This is where the community aspect is going to come in later in the video. But ultimately, find authors that you trust, find pastors that you trust. And if you don't know, have a mature Christian in your life, like your pastor, a uh, spouse, things like that. You know, someone who isn't just a Christian you like, but someone who you know that, you know, they could listen to this video and, and really be on board with a lot of the things that are being said. You know, someone who really respects God's word, who has an awe for God, who, who loves holiness, who understands the danger of worldliness and worldly thinking, have them help you find books on certain topics or even find safe authors versus dangerous authors. So as far as, uh, you know, finding quality books on a certain topic, like what do I mean by that? Well, I'll just, we'll just talk through some ones that I've, I've uh, read or been reading recently. So for example, I'm a dad. Maybe I want to say, you know, how do I as a dad lead my family 
according to God's will? How do I honor and glorify God? How do I think as a parent? Well, I would recommend someone read Family Driven Faith by Vody Bauckham. Vody Bauckham, he's a guy who I have great respect for, especially when it comes to family matters. Uh, you know, the important thing that, that I really want to point out is that uh, if me and Vody were to sit down, we would have absolute agreement on the essentials of the faith, but we have a lot of stuff that we disagree on, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to just stay in your own camp and just read the books that are, are within your little bubble. You know, Vody Bauckham is a very safe guy. He and I may not be able to go to the same church, not because of, of false teachings, but just because we understand things slightly differently about, say, the, the role of Israel in the church and, and how all that works, and our views of the end times and stuff like that. But I would never hesitate to send someone to Vody Bauckham, either for his books, for his preaching or anything like that. Uh, you know, maybe I wanted to understand what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Well, if you uh, remember one of my recent videos, we talked about what a doulos is, and doulos is often translated servant, but is better translated as slave. And so if someone wanted to understand their identity in Christ and what it means to be a, quote, servant of Jesus Christ, I would send them to the book Slave by John MacArthur, which basically is a much more thorough treatment of the video I did that looks at what it really means to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, what about love and romance within marriage? So this is one that I am actually working on right now. Uh, hopefully, if my schedule allows, I'll finish it by the end of today. Um, but Song of Songs for Singles and Married People too. I think it's just called Song of Songs for Singles, but they have a little tagline and married people too. Uh, this is by Tim and Angela Little. Uh, and what this book does is it is a almost a commentary of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Mind-blowing book. It takes a book that a lot of us are like, oh, I don't know what to do with this thing, and not only helps us explain it and understand it in the context that it was written in, but really shows how God desires for men and women to think about sex, both within marriage and outside of marriage. And it's not just about sex, but how do we think about dating? How do we think about romance and flirting and how we dress and what we look for in a spouse? And it's been an amazing book for me to read. And again, you know, it's one of those things, oh, you know, I'm reading it right now and I'm really excited about it. But uh, this is one, you know, a lot, not a lot of stuff stays on my bookshelf, but this is one that I think is going to stay on my bookshelf. And I would drive anyone to it who says, hey, how do I think about sex? How do I think about dating? Song of Songs for Singles. Great, great resource. And so that's what I mean, though, is when we're looking at different topics that we want to know about, Yes, God's word has the answers, but sometimes it helps to have someone who can take the answers that are in God's word, help us think through it in terms of, uh, you know, other study that people have done outside the Bible in terms of like, for example, uh, the Song of Songs book, you know, looking at kind of the historical archaeological context of that, that you're just not going to find in a song about a male and female lover. Uh, you know, the, the book Slave, I mean, it really looks at a single word, but it digs a lot deeper into the implications of it and things like that. And that's what I mean is that, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, yes, you want to pray, but don't just make it just you and your Bible alone in the bedroom. Use the resources that other people who have the exact same Holy Spirit inside of them as you do. 
allow God to bless you. Allow God to use these people in your life to help you better understand the different aspects of the Christian life, the different areas of the Bible and things like that. You know, find good quality topics that you want to learn about and then find ways to learn about them. You know, whether it's it's videos or teaching series or books or whatever it is, but you know, books are always a safe bet. Now, let's say that you've been, uh, you know, in prayer and relying on God for uh, your growth, your knowledge, your understanding. You've been reading your Bible consistently. You've been reading your Bible well. You know, you've been responsible with with asking those questions, trying to find those questions. You've been uh, consulting your commentaries. You've been using your study Bible. You've been, uh, you know, using a dictionary for the first time since maybe elementary school. You're doing all this stuff. You're reading books. You know, people have piqued your interest and all that. What's next? You know, what, what, where can you go from here? Well, here is where I would recommend something like a systematic theology book. Now, that sounds like a scary word. You know, systematic theology, how nerdy are we going to be? Well, as nerdy as we ever are around here. But systematic theology is essentially saying, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it looks at our system of beliefs. So the way I like to explain it is picture a series of gears that are all kind of working together in a system, right? In a machine for us to believe something about Jesus Christ, for us to believe something about salvation or the end times, or, you know, anything like that, the Holy spirit, spiritual gifts, take your pick. They, you know, each belief that we have is like a cog in our system. It's a, it's a, a gear in our worldview that is working alongside every other gear that we have. And so what systematic theology does is it says, hey, here is a complete working gear system to help us understand how all of these things work together. Because where, where I would say the value in this is, is it helps you to understand why something you're believing might be working against your other gears, why it doesn't fit in your system and how the gear on its own might look fine. But when you put it into the rest of what you believe is true about God and the world that he's created, some things are not quite syncing up. Uh, so I cite, for example, if you remember my uh, video on, or my podcast or my blog article, on uh, what James chapter five, verse, I think 15 and 16 says about how, you know, pray for the elders when you're sick and they'll anoint you with oil and your sins will be forgiven and you will be healed. And how on its own, people have interpretations of what that means, but rarely have I met someone where that, that particular belief on what James is talking about there fits with the rest of their belief system. And that's what systematic theology does, is it takes basically a whole gamut of our Christian beliefs, you know, from angels to heaven to, to uh, you know, uh, the different covenants in the Bible, just all kinds of stuff. And it says, here is how we can understand it in a way that all fits together. Now, the hard thing is that there's not just one systematic theology book because we all have different beliefs and interpretations and understandings, and we're all trying to make all these things fit together. So the classic systematic theology book people recommend is just systematic theology by Wayne Gerudo. This is the one that I started with. Um, I... I used it wrong, I think. So I got real interested in it and I just started at kind of page one of this, you know, big monstrosity and just kind of read all the way through it. Really, it's more of a topical thing where, hey, I want to know about the Trinity. And then you would go to this and see, you know, how he understands and explains the Trinity from a biblical perspective. 
Um, you know, and Wayne Grudem is fine. There's some stuff in his book that I, as time has gone on, I say, well, I don't think that that necessarily fits as well with how I understand other things. Uh, so two systematic theologies that I might recommend are concise theology by J.I. Packer. Now, this is going to be one where, again, he and I, I think, have some different understandings of some non-essential issues. You know, this is, you know, I, I read through this twice and listened to it once on an audiobook and really enjoyed it. Um, so it's not a bad book by any means, but the nice thing is that it is concise, right? It's simple. It's not this thousands of pages of, you know, really tiny print. Um, it takes different doctrines and topics and things that we believe as Christians and just kind of gives you a kind of a rapid shot understanding of, hey, here's a way to think about it. So if you're not sure, if you're just curious, uh, Concise Theology by J.I. Packer is an easy recommendation. And then a more recent one that um, I would recommend to people in my own camp of Baptist is Biblical Doctrine by uh, MacArthur and Mayhew. Now, to be very clear, because I know the name John MacArthur has some weird connotations to it. Um, you know, I've recommended a couple things by John MacArthur right now, and that's not because I'm what is called a MacArthurite. You know, there's stuff I don't agree with him on, but I, I can in a broad sense, always recommend John MacArthur simply because he is a man who has proven himself for decades is a solid Christian who honors and respects God's word. So, you know, if you're, if you're just not sure what to do, John MacArthur is a safe bet. Um, just in terms of, you know, if I've never read the book, I would say, yeah, it's probably fine. Or if I haven't heard the sermon, I would say, yeah, it's probably fine. Um, so, but again, as far as, as, uh, systematic theology books go uh biblical doctrine would be the closest thing i would find if you are more in line with me and my uh, baptist beliefs so now uh departing the discussion of dead trees which honestly i have most of these books on uh, digital as well but uh getting past just books you know we live in a modern digital age so what are some digital resources that you should follow or or can follow uh, because I think that's valuable. I think that it's good to have easy, quick access to various safe resources that can help us either think through a topic, can encourage us for the day, can challenge us and things like that. So uh, places I would encourage you to just consider if you are a blog reader, you know, you like reading different articles. Um, I can recommend Chally's, which is a blog by Tim Chally's. Uh, Grace to You, which is uh, the John MacArthur ministry. Uh, Legionnaire, Legionnaire, I will never know how to pronounce it, by R.C. Sproul. Um, Desiring God by John Piper. And then Onward in the Faith, right? This ministry actually started as a blog. Uh, now, for most of those, you're going to find kind of a a short, quick, you know, kind of punchy breakdown of different topics and ideas and stuff like that. Whereas Onward in the Faith is more of uh, what's been described to me. And I think it's a pretty apt description is that uh, my ministry is more of like a theological journal uh, that is written for kind of everyday Christians. So uh, if you want something that's, you know, a bit shorter, something you can read every day, I would recommend any of those guys, um, you know, I have to plug onward in the faith. If I didn't believe in what I was doing, this would be an absolute waste of my time. Now, as far as like, uh, you know, podcasts and YouTube channels and things like that, 
Um, you know, a lot of these guys, including myself, we have our own audio versions of things, so you can go to that. Um, but I would also recommend, you know, take advantage of the fact that most solid pastors have their stuff available online. And I say that with a very important warning. The best pastor for you to listen to is your pastor. It's very easy in, in our world of kind of celebrityism. And, you know, I, I follow this guy and I follow that guy. We basically ignore the warnings of Paul when we do that. But it's very easy to hear our pastor and just say, you know, I'm listening to my pastor because it's where I'm at. It's where I go every Sunday. But, man, I can't wait to go home and listen to so-and-so or, you know, the, the, the greatest, most meaningful sermons that we think we've ever heard are from some guy states away or even in a totally different country from us. So be very careful when you're just just digesting and constantly consuming other pastors. Remember that they don't have any responsibility for your soul. You aren't part of their flock. They are not your pastor. They are not your shepherd, your overseer, your leader. Make sure that while these you know, men can provide you with, with very excellent quality teachings, and if you're in a, a weaker church, maybe this is the only feeding you're going to get from the Bible from another man, but uh, really be very careful about just following so many pastors that you look at your, uh, you know, your country pastor in a church of 75 people and just say, boy, I wish my pastor was better. Your pastor is the man God gave you. Be thankful for him, respect him, honor him, and dig in and learn from him, you know, because you have an advantage with him that you don't have with anyone else. And that's that you can walk into his office with any question, with any concern, and he will sit down and lovingly walk you through it and guide you as a good pastor should. Now, as far as, as podcasts and YouTube channels, I'm going to be honest, there are a lot of good ones out there, which also means there's a lot of bad ones. Um, so ones, though, that I, I'll just try to, to squish this down because I don't want to overwhelm you and have you listen to nothing. Uh, but ones that I have enjoyed myself listening to, ones that I will, you know, throw on uh, every now and then as I'm working or in the car or whatever. Um, the Bible Thinker, which is uh, hosted or a, a ministry of Mike Winger. Um, he is a guy who I would say I, I really respect in terms of he does a lot of what I do, but basically better. Um, he may not, may not be as funny as me, but uh, he thinks through things very biblically and very logically and kind of lays it out in a really clean system that is makes it easier for the listeners to try to understand to where uh, there's there's stuff that, that Mike Winger has, has said and discussed that I very much disagree with. But I respect it so much because I know 100% why he said the things he said. And even if I don't agree, at least he's given me a lot to think about on why I disagree and what I need to make sure I understand if I'm going to, to disagree with his biblical arguments. Um, I also enjoy the Bible study with Steve Lawson. Uh, that's a podcast where he just studies the Bible, right? He goes through, starts at chapter one, verse one of a book and just goes through it and talks through it. And it's, it's really good stuff. Um, Pass or a Bible talk by Nine Marks does a similar thing. It's more aimed at pastors, um, and it's not so much verse by verse as it is uh, chunks of chapters at a time. So, for example, I'm listening to their Genesis series right now, and they'll take a few chapters in Genesis, but really zero in on the concepts and ideas of it. Uh, so, just really good, uh, challenging stuff in those things. Um, the Bible Project is another one that a lot of people like. They've got really high quality stuff on YouTube. 
again, watch with caution. And I would say that with anyone, including me, right? Watch with caution, watch with discernment, no matter how convincing something is, no matter how cool it sounds or whatever, you know, make sure that you are constantly going to God's word to check it constantly making sure that what you're hearing is fitting into a correct system of beliefs and things like that. But Bible project, really, really good, uh, easy to understand stuff that gets pretty deep at times. Um, now for something, uh, maybe a bit, uh, easier, maybe a bit more lightweight, something that's aimed at, uh, your everyday Christian who maybe doesn't read their Bible a lot and doesn't know a whole lot about, you know, kind of the deeper things of the faith, um, for the gospel by Costi Hinn, I can recommend well, uh, now if that last name gets you scared because you hear the name Hinn. Yeah. Costi Hinn is the nephew, if I remember correctly of the false teacher, Benny Hinn. So that's a fascinating testimony if you ever get a chance to kind of hear him discuss that stuff. Uh, but he does, again, kind of similar to what I do, lots of topics on the Christian faith, just helping you to understand it. So, uh, but these are our resources that I would recommend. Again, they're online. Uh, they're easy for you to consume. They're things that, uh, you know, I have used personally in some fashion or another. These are things that I still recommend to people depending on where they're at. So uh, links to these guys will be uh, down in the show notes or at least their name. So you can find them on your uh, uh, podcast player of choice. Now, the next thing that I would recommend doing, and this isn't necessarily in order, but I would really recommend paying attention to Christians from the past. Uh, you know, like I said, the same, the Holy Spirit that we have in us, who is guiding us, who is uh, helping us be equipped, who is helping us to grow in spiritual maturity and understanding, is the exact same Holy Spirit that men and women throughout history have had, right? So we want to be very careful to, to check kind of our, I don't know, our modern arrogance and say, oh, they're, they're so old fashioned. You know, they didn't know anything back then. We've got it all figured out today. You know, on one hand, there is a danger or a reality that they had to work through the very basic understandings of the faith. And so some of their uh, more side doctrines, right, their, their lesser theologies may not have been as fully formed. But we get to stand on the shoulders of the work that they did so that today, you know, you are, if you're listening to this, most likely a Protestant. Now, you may not know what that means, but if you're not a Roman Catholic and you're not Greek Orthodox, you're a Protestant. Welcome to the party. And a lot of what you believe about how salvation works, about who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, isn't just something that is so clearly and obviously in the Bible, right? It's only been for the last few centuries after what Martin Luther kind of uh, sparked a fire to, if you will, with the Protestant Reformation, that we have the understanding that we have today. So if you're in church and if someone's saying, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven, your works can't save you, you know, you're saved by grace through faith. If you're hearing things like that and, and everyone's just like, yeah, that's right. I, I basically get that. That's not because it's just an obvious thing, but it's because of the work that men and women in history have done, often even giving their lives so that we could understand those things today. So don't discount them, but also read about them. And so when, when we're trying to learn from Christians of the past, there's two ways to do it. One is we can uh, read biographies of them. And those can be nice because it helps us to get kind of a full picture of what God allowed their lives to go through, right? How God directed their lives from birth and their schooling and marriage and things like that. 
that brought them to maybe what they're most famous for or the the doctrine that they really fought for and things like that. But if I'm honest, sometimes biographies are nice because we don't have to read the the uh, translated words that Martin Luther wrote in German. You know, so so biographies can be nice to give us a snapshot of the life of these people, but also to understand their doctrine in a way that's explained to us as we're seeing their life. Now, the second way and the obvious way is to read the stuff that they wrote. You know, there's a lot of great uh, uh, writers and theologians all throughout history that we can learn from and grow from that can even challenge us in ways that people today don't just because we've sometimes lost some of the elegance and the on the reverence for God and his word that a lot of these people in the past had. So as far as specifics go, I mean, we've got, we got like 2000 years of church history. You know, there's a lot to recommend. So instead of uh, recommending specific names, I would say uh, try to, to, to read and understand things from the early church fathers uh, understand things from the reformers. So Martin Luther, but he had a whole host of buddies, uh, both before and after his whole famous thing um, that we can learn from. Uh, and the Puritans. So the Puritans are, you know, more recent by by historical standards. Uh, but the Puritans, again, just such rich, deep theology motivated out of a love for God that uh, the mo- the Puritans can just be great to read. A little challenging, um, but very worthwhile. And we can learn so much from them. I mean, we still learn things from them today. And then finally, as far as how to learn and grow on your own, I would recommend you expose yourself to differing ideas and understand why you differ with that person. So as I've kind of recommended different resources, I've said, you know, I may not necessarily agree with this person on this or that. And one reason I like listening to people that I disagree with is one, because typically their theology is still sound, even if we arrive at different conclusions. But also I want to know, you know, why does someone think that, you know, the church has replaced Israel? Why does someone think that we are meant to say, conquer the world for Jesus to, so, and he will not come back until the world has been conquered for Christianity? You know, I can, you know, disagree with these guys, but I'm not just going to say, oh, they, they believe something different than me. I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to take the good and things that I agree with and learn from them, but also the things I don't agree with, I use, and I would encourage you to use as an opportunity to say, I disagree. Why do I disagree? Do I disagree because it sounds different? Because that's not my opinion. It's not my tradition. It's not what I grew up with. You know, why are you disagreeing? And then go find out, go find out what the truth is. Use the, what, you know, what the, what these men and women are saying from their own belief and understanding, uh, you know, find people that you do agree with who can kind of help give you a different perspective and expose yourself to different ideas with caution, right? Because we don't want to just keep getting swayed and say, oh, well, this sounds really good right now, so I'll believe this is true. But then something else comes along and says, oh, well, this appeals to me more, so I'm going to go with this. Uh, you know, ex- you know, there there is safety, certainly, especially as you're maybe a younger Christian or one who has not reached a level of maturity that you should be at. There is safety and just surrounding yourself with with solid people who are going to to teach you the things that you want to learn without kind of confusing you or leading you astray. But as you're growing in that safety, it all 
it it can become dangerous to just kind of surround ourselves in an echo chamber where of course this is the truth because everyone I talk to, everyone I listen to and read says the same thing. Well, of course they do. If you're picking and choosing to only listen to those voices who already agree with you. So as you're growing, as you're kind of implementing a lot of what we're talking about, as you are understanding your faith for yourself, as you are, are wrestling with beliefs and doctrines and teachings and interpretations of different verses, as you are growing that for yourself, start exposing yourself to those who are followers of Jesus Christ, or maybe not followers of Jesus Christ, you know, maybe even uh, with safety and wisdom, listen to how false teachers are going through these things and understanding them so that you can sharpen yourself so that you can be ready to defend uh, those who are maybe weaker in the faith than you so that you can help them say, here's what they say, but here's where they get it wrong and why, and here is what is true. So, uh, yeah, so just expose yourself to different ideas, different belief systems, different uh, denominations, you know, and stuff like that, just to round yourself out and make sure that if you spent all these years believing this thing, that it's worth believing, right? Because that's the whole point of this is not to acquire knowledge and feel good about ourselves, but to say what is true based on God's word so that I can live it out. And we're not going to do that very well. Right. If we are not constantly pursuing what is truly true, not just what people around us are saying is true. So looking at the recording time, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and do what I figured I might have to do. Uh, we're going to cut that here. That is our discussion on how to learn theology on your own, how to grow on your own, how to basically just be you on a desert island with Internet access. Uh, able to grow and study and learn and keep moving really onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ. Next time, then I want to talk about how do you grow and learn in community? You know, because again, this cannot be a solo exercise. You should do things on your own, right? This, you know, God's word and studying it and understanding it and growing in it. We want it to be such a central part of our lives that it affects us behind closed doors. But we also don't want to just isolate ourselves so much that we don't take advantage of possibly one of the greatest assets we have in terms of not just acquiring personal knowledge, but also applying it, living it out, being encouraged in it. So next time we're going to finish out part four or episode four, part two, and talk about how to study theology in community. So if this has been valuable to you, uh, make sure you share it with others. Make sure you, uh, you know, maybe click the link, buy some books, uh, start growing your own collection. But don't just hear this and say, yeah, that's a really great idea. And please don't hear this and say that's overwhelming. I talked about kind of eight steps to take, but really part one and two is all you need to start with. Pray to God for wisdom and then read your Bible and read it well. As questions come up, as you are getting more familiar with God's word, then start adding some extra resources that can help you answer those questions on your own. As you start wanting to, uh, you know, spend time outside of just reading your Bible, learning and growing, add some books to the mix, you know, learn about a topic, get more familiar with it and things like that. Uh, start filling your time instead of just uh, listening to music or whatever to to listening to quality content from other Christians whose ministries and lives are dedicated to helping you understand 
God and his word even more. And just keep growing like that. You know, take your time. You know, you've got, Lord willing, decades to do all this stuff. You know, don't just be in such a rush to say, you know, I need to be, you know, 10 miles down the road and be so overwhelmed that you just won't even take a step. You know, be content with where God has you now. Be be thankful that he has saved you. Be thankful that he's given you a desire to grow. And just take your time. Go at the pace that you need to go. Don't don't get lazy. Don't get just kind of like, you know, self-content and say, well, I know enough, so that's good enough. You know, keep moving forward, but don't get so discouraged or overwhelmed that you're looking so far down the road that you're not just enjoying where you are right now. So all of us had to start somewhere, right? The most mature, most intelligent, wisest Christians, you know, started right where you were at some point. So keep learning, keep growing, keep relying on God for all of it. Because at the end, we are doing all of this, right? None of this means anything if we're not ultimately doing it because we love our God and want to know him more so that we can live for him more. So uh, again, uh, if this ministry is valuable to you, share it. If you'd like to support it, check the links out on the show notes to see how you can do a one-time donation or a monthly pledge. And I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.